This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. As always, I'm sitting here with an awesome person because I don't have non-awesome people (laughs) on my podcast. Uh, My guest is Cole Stratton. Hello, Cole. Hello. Uh, Can you tell the listening humans a little bit uh, about yourself? I get up every morning. <laughs> it's starting at the beginning. Yep. Um, I uh, let's see. What am I? What's my deal? I, uh, I I kind of a weird living. I, I run a comedy festival in San Francisco called SF Sketch Fest. I'm one of three people that do that, uh, which is a fun combination of all things comedy and it's turned into this massive thing in its 14th year, which is crazy. It's a great festival. Yeah. Thanks. Which you've done it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Performed it's, it and it's a good time. And, yeah. And, uh, but, but I live in LA, even though it's in San Francisco, so uh, I do a podcast down here called Pop My Culture, which is on uh, the Nerdist Network, and uh, about to come up on our 150th episode, which is cool, and it's just me and my co-host Vanessa Raglan talking to famous type peoples, <laughs> which is fun, and, uh, and then just an occasional actor, and uh, an improviser, and that kind of stuff, so I do yeah. I wear lots of different creative hats, which is fun. Didn't you do a Twitter-themed uh, show recently? I did. I did a solo show I created called 140 Characters. Cool. The idea came to me when I was on vacation in New York with my wife, and I just thought, like, well, the character limit on Twitter is 140. What if I did a solo show where I do 140 different characters? And then the idea of memorizing 140 different <laughs> characters, I was like, uh, I don't know about that. So it, it ended up being a thing where I have a script in front of me on a mic stand, but then projected behind me, are tweets. There are, each one is like a different tweet from a fake account of some okay. sort that I, in theory, like some fake celebrity accounts or like weird, you know, just ideas that I had mixed in with my own tweets. So it'll pop up, I'll read who it is and, awesome. then, and then read the tweet in the name and then the voice of that character, whatever it would be. So it's really rapid fire. It, like the whole thing takes like 30 to 40 minutes depending on the audience reaction because <laughs> I'll hold if something's going well or whatever but in yeah. general like yeah it's just ra- rapid fire and if something doesn't hit like 10 seconds later there's another one so that's really um, cool are you going to do it again anytime probably at some point I've done it a couple times in LA so and I did it once at my festival and okay, went really cool. well there and so I and I constantly change it up like I'll pull out slides that don't do as well and put new ones in right. try those out or if something was topical a year ago when I first did it and now it just feels kind of like well that was funny then but I don't know, I'll pull that out <laughs> Things die quickly. Yeah, so it constantly is evolving, which is cool. And it's different. Like, I mean, I love solo shows, but I also hate them very, very much. So it was my way of doing a solo show that wasn't just like somebody being like, you know, growing up in the Midwest was crazy. (laughs) Let me put on a different hat. Right. Be my dad. Exactly. So the fact that it's not that, it's just a different kind of, you know, multimedia show that. Um, and I've gotten really good at Photoshop, so, you know, it's a chance for me to, like, make funny oh, cool. slides and stuff, too. So, you know, the, the backgrounds are different as if it's, like, your that person's homepage or whatever, and then their little icons awesome. and stuff. And so, yeah, so it's, it's a fun show. Yeah, I've done a decent amount of one-man shows and always trying to find a different way to kind of play with those conventions of how you change characters, so it's pretty fascinating. Right. Yeah, I did one where it was a bunch of guys sitting at a bar, and they all had different glasses, so I just would switch to which glass I was holding. Which worked well for the most part, except for the constant fear that I was just going to shatter all of the shatter glasses, the glasses yeah. and all the characters die. There's a group here in L.A. called Burglars of Ham that 
somebody I used to live with was involved with, and uh, they had a thing that they did called Easy Targets, and then Easier Targets was when they did follow-up, <laughs> and it was parodies of solo shows, and what they would do is, each one was like 10 minutes, and they would do like five or six okay. over the course of the show. So, But before the show, they would hand out, you'd get a bag that had rolled up socks in them, and you're allowed to throw them at the performers whenever you want. <laughs> so they were all just like plays on the different kinds of solo yeah. shows. Like the one, like the guy who came out to his parents, the one that's like, I, I'm Abraham Lincoln, and this is like my story, or whatever. <laughs> Um, and then in between each show, like they would, 10 minutes would an end, and then they would come back down the aisles and you could buy additional socks. So that's how they like raised additional money. It's like for a dollar, you got four more socks or whatever. That's so, really smart. Yeah, so you would constantly buy them. So like you know, the guy was playing Abe Lincoln, he would come out and say two words, people would throw him in his hat or knock his hat off, he would stop for a second, pick it, put his hat back <laughs> on, and then continue. Um, one guy did a thing about how, or a woman did a thing about how she found herself through her husband who was another guy in the cast and so it was his picture on a pedestal and then people would just keep kid- throwing it at that to knock it off and so they stop give them actual that. targets to work with as well yeah more or less yeah wow. so it was a pretty brilliant idea for a show yeah that's like brilliant to just capture hate yeah <laughs> in exactly. that fun consumerist way uh so your obsession that you're here to talk about is 80s hbo films yep in in by that you mean the films that were in like constant heavy, rotation, heavy rotation on okay. HBO growing up. Yeah. Cool. So what were the films? There are so many. <laughs> uh, I, I scribbled down a couple of them, but um, I mean that's the thing is like the new babysitter growing up was HBO. Like like that wasn't you know they had all the movies on there and they played them a lot. So yeah. you didn't see things once. You saw them like seven times. <laughs> So, this is just a handful of ones that I just became obsessed with. Uh, Cloak and Dagger, uh, Midnight Madness, The Last Starfighter, The Last Unicorn, The Pirate Movie, <laughs> Six Pack, sorry, Kenny Rogers, uh, Kid Co., uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Those are just the ones I initially wrote down in the name. Wow. But, uh, but there's way more than that. I mean, it's just things that were just constantly on. Dreamscape that just came to my, popped in my head, too. Um, just things that aren't necessarily amazing movies, but I have such strong memories of them yeah. that they really influenced my pop culture love and that kind that's of really cool because i i tried to google this because normally people's obsessions are easily googleable right in this one i it was hard to find anywhere that just listed here are the films that were in heavy rotation right so i thought you were gonna say like well goonies and like all these like well-known 80s classics in like you could have read me that list, and I would have thought half of those films were not real films from the <laughs> 80s, but just awesome parody of 80s movies that you came up with. Well, those are the best ones. The ones that weren't necessarily big smashes culturally, you know, that didn't necessarily do great when they were yeah. in theaters or even played theatrically at all, but found a life on cable where they, you know, they got them for a cheap fee, and they just ran the crap out of them, just constantly just ran them. And so, you, I don't know, it's just you just started to fall in love with these movies. Yeah that are just full of character actors and things now or whatever and space camp that's another one that just popped in my head so um, did it get you thinking about how the industry worked and who these character actors were and thinking about behind the movies because you saw them again and again i mean it definitely like made me want to learn who these people were a lot at the time you know yeah. so you would go back and like you start to recognize people. Like, there's Dan Hedaya again. There, you know, whatever, like, the people that would pop up. There's Cheers Man, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's Jordan Ratzenberger. There's George Wendt. Um, you just constantly get used to seeing these people and start to get an appreciation for what they did. Cool. Did you, yeah. have, a, did you have a favorite of the films that you, like, looked forward to the most? I definitely watched Cloak and Dagger a lot. 
Um, that was with Henry Thomas. Okay. It's like, kind of, like, he's like a kid who plays spy games all the time. He has an imaginary friend that's Jack Flack that's played by Dabney Coleman. His father in the film is also played by Dabney Coleman. So he's like a version of a father figure. Okay. As this kind of thing. And so Benny gets involved in, like, a real spy game. And people are really trying to kill him. And he has this cloak and dagger cartridge that's got government plans on him or whatever that people are trying to get. Um, but no one believes him because he's constantly playing these games. So it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf, but he really is in jeopardy and um, working with his, his his imaginary friend to try to, you know, stay alive and beat the yeah. bad guys or whatever. But, you know, it's just like a kid's adventure, kind of what you would want to do. Yeah. So like Goonies in a sense, too, or, you know, kid protagonists trying to really take on adult problems. Nobody believes him. Nobody believes him, yeah. He's as cool as he is in that video games have value. <laughs> right. Well, he, like, takes the cartridge at one point to this, like, video game store in the mall where this nerdy guy named Morris works, and Morris, of course, gets to the level where the plans unlock or whatever, but then he ends up getting killed by, spoiler, getting killed <laughs> by uh, the bad guys, and he's played by William Forsyth, who's been, like, in a bajillion things. But, okay. Um, but it was just kind of cool to, like, I don't know, the whole thing, and it's very 80s, I mean, it, like everything else. Like, it's an Atari cartridge, basically. It's yeah. the graphics. It looks like elevator <laughs> action, like the, the play of it. Um I don't know, it's just something kind of amazing about it. Yeah, well, it seems like it really has rhythm with the way you just, like, immediately described what HBO was, is that it was a babysitter for kids from the 80s. Yep. And this film that they probably just got because it was cheap seems perfectly designed to, like, well, what would young 80s kids right. stuck alone at home want to fantasize about? Like, well, uh, Dabney Coleman is your father. There's a <laughs> lot of that kind video of stuff, games too. Matter. A lot of, like, normal kid or normal teenager or whatever pulled out of their humdrum surroundings and thrust into a real-life adventure situation. Same thing with Last Starfighter, which, was, you know, this kid who lives in a trailer park, he's a teenager, played by Lance Guest, who uh, uh, is really good at the Last Starfighter video game, but it turns out it's like a training module for Starfighters, in a sense. Yeah. So, like, they can see who's good at it, and, like, all these Starfighters are dying, so he gets, like, like Robert Preston comes down as his alien to say, like, we need you, and takes him <laughs> up there, and he ends up, you know, being this, like, hero up in there. But, again, it's, like, a kid who dreams of going to space and whatever and doing something different. Yeah. Literally becomes a, you know, a fighter pilot in space. It would have been amazing if they had actually made a film that was, you watch HBO so well, we need you to come to our planet and save our planet by watching HBO. <laughs> by watching HBO. Because it is just such, like, it seems like almost constructed validation in those films where you're... A kid who's playing video games, well, that's really important and it's going to save the world is like such weird yeah. validation of what what you do to waste your time. <laughs> totally. uh, were, there, were there films that were just horrible but had a sort of Stockholm Syndrome effect on you? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Um, I mean, Kidco's not a great movie, but that's like kids that start this uh, manure business. <laughs> See... I would be watching this as an improv scene you're doing, and think that, that this is inspiring, yeah, that he's making like, this up. It's Scott Schwartz stars in it, who was the kid who played Flick in A Christmas Story, who then later on went on to do porn, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's, the, like, the main kid in it. Okay. And, um, yeah, they're, like, selling manure, and then somehow there ends up being a legal battle. It's weird. I, I barely <laughs> remember. But it still pops up occasionally on cable. Oh, really? But it was one of those things that was on VHS once and is out of print. And if you try to, you can't find it on DVD. If you try to find it on, you know, VHS, you're paying a ridiculous, like, wow. 30 or 40 bucks for it at least. And which is like, really? Am I really going to plunk that down on a VHS? But, you know, occasionally it will pop up on cable and I'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when Kid Co. came on or when you came home from school and you're going to watch HBO and it wasn't The Last Starfighter, which was awesome, but it was Kid Co. with the manure story. 
were you like bummed out or did you feel just sort of captivated of like i will watch whatever is there most of the time i kind of grew to love them so <laughs> you know there's just something about it that appealed to me like i recognize like this isn't a good movie but i don't know works for me you know, <laughs> that kind of thing even as a kid did you start analyzing like Kiko oh, yeah. is not as good because who cares about manure i'd rather be fighting <laughs> aliens <laughs> than manure legal battles for sure i mean i i was like my dad was really into movies and really, like, showed me a lot of stuff. And okay, cool. And too. So, like, I was always a bit of, like, a cinephile as a kid. Like, I just grew to, like, love movies and learn, like, wh- you know, I, I memorized the names of the stars. Like, I underst- like I knew what the, like, the logos would start to come up. Like, oh, that's TriStar. Oh, that's okay. Orion, you know. <laughs> like, I know that immediately. Like, it's just that kind of thing where I just, I just loved them. So, like, I would always go to video stores. And this is back when, like, it took a year for movies to come out on video. Right. At least. And they were $99 on VHS to buy them if you wanted to buy them. Good or you God. could rent them for whatever. Um, eventually, they would reprice them at you know, 24 95 or 19 95 to make them more affordable. Yeah. But also VCRs, like we got a top-loading VCR in like the early 80s, and it was like $800, you know? Jesus. Like that's what they, and that's eight, you know, 81 money, you know? So it's like that's... Yeah, this was high-end classy yeah. stuff in order to watch right. manure legal battles. Exactly. <laughs> So it was just the event of like home viewing was just starting to really go and cable was just starting to really launch. And so the idea of like, like my dad's dream was always like, I'm going to have a, 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 a way that I can watch whatever movie whenever I want to, you know, because you just didn't have that. Yeah. It was just whatever happened to be on TV or you go see the movie theater and that was it. So did, it, did your father uh, feel like he was curating? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he would definitely show me stuff that he loved. But then, you know, <laughs> there's stuff on HBO that I would just watch <laughs> and, you know, whatever. But those are the movies that I, like, just love now. Cool. Did your parents know that you were, like, absorbing just a massive amount of HBO? Yeah, I think they did. Um, for sure. Like, they didn't, you know, mind it. I, I, I was, it wasn't like I didn't go outside and do things. I okay. Just like a kid. <laughs> I was trapped in front of the TV. I was just like, I just preferred, I just loved to watch movies and stuff like that too. And it was also easy to like come home from school and have a salad and watch a movie or whatever. Yeah. And then do my homework and all that other stuff too. But, um, and then summers especially, like that was the time that was like, you're killing time. Yeah. So you just turn on the TV and, oh, National Lampoon's European Vacation's on again. You, you seem like you watched it then in a pretty healthy way, if you're saying you ate a salad, and then you yeah. actually went outside and moved your body. The only kids I knew who were, like, truly obsessed with HBO were just, they didn't leave the house. They had, you know, they were practically, like, you know, growing fingernails and long hair, like, right. shut-ins. Yeah. Uh, so it's cool that you were able to, like, absorb so much of it without it, like, totally destroying <laughs> your young life. Yeah. It, you know, made me a little unusual in the sense that, like, I... It's not like I just saw the movies. I could just tell you a lot about them and you know, who was in them and that kind of stuff, which not a lot of kids were into filmographies of people, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's something I loved. Uh, now, what was The Last Unicorn? I have only foggy memories of it even existing. What was the story of The Last Unicorn? The Last Unicorn is animated. It's based on a fantasy novel by Peter S. Beagle, and it's about, like, literally, like, there's one unicorn left in the world. It's voiced by Mia Farrow in the movie. And... <laughs> It's there's this thing called the Red Bull, which is rounding up all the unicorns and putting pushing them into the sea for King Haggard, who was voiced by Christopher Lee, and then Jeff Daniels is like the prince character. So okay. basically, she like the unicorn uh, takes up with this is captured by like this traveling gypsies like zoo thing. Wow! But you can't see that it's a unicorn unless you believe or whatever. You can just see it's a horse or whatever. So, but so she puts she magically casts a, a horn that you can see, so she can see she has a unicorn, even though it is a unicorn. Okay. Um, but she takes up a magic the magician. That's Alan Arkin. Um, 
who busts her out because they can't, you can't have a, a unicorn in captivity. And, uh, <laughs> and ends up, because people are chasing her, ends up turning her humid to save her. So, But then she's losing the unicorn inside her by being a human or whatever. And then Jeff Daniels you know, romances her or whatever. And then eventually King Haggard figures out that she's the unicorn and that whole thing. But I loved it. And the music was by America. They did original songs. <laughs> and... Um, it was Rankin Bass, I think, that did the animation. Oh wow! So it was cool looking. And it's kind of it's kind of a minor classic now. I think some people it's kind of scary too. The Red Bull's kind of freaky and yeah. I mean, it um, sounds scary on a lot of levels yeah. to me. Uh, <laughs> just the, the characters involved in hearing hearing Mia Farrow's voice come out of a unicorn animated by Rankin and Bass seems a little terrible. There's like most of the songs are just America singing, but sometimes the characters sing and like she sings one and she can't really sing. And Jeff Daniels sings one and he's not I mean he's okay, but like in that it was like wow. Ooh. Uh it's truly sad to think of a unicorn who can't sing, sing right? <laughs> Should be able to do that. So if if you could sort of uh live inside the plot of any of the movies that you obsessed on, which movie would you want to sort of like be inside of? Ooh. Well, I mean, you mentioned Goonies, for sure. I would want to be in that. But, you know, Last Starfighter, Cloak and Dagger, both. Like, I like, you know, the idea of those things. I don't think I'd want to get killed by these bad guys chasing <laughs> me. But those are both all really cool. Cool. Definitely be fun to be in. Are you a video gamer now? I was growing up. Like, I had every system there was, pretty much. You know, though I didn't get a Genesis, I bought a TurboGrafx-16 instead. I was one of those four people. A fateful choice. Yeah. Well, you know, Bonk's Adventure was pretty badass. (laughs) So, but yeah, I had all that stuff, and so I would play that a lot. And then I think when I kind of got done with high school, um, that's kind of when the PlayStation era started to come in and stuff. And it just got... Games just got too complicated. They just took too long to learn. Yeah. There's just too many, like, you know, you, hit, you hold down F2 and hit X and O at the same time in order to do this spell. It's just kind of like, ugh, can I just, what's jump? <laughs> what's duck? Yeah, yeah. Um, the plot of The Last Starfighter is kind of amazing to think of nowadays of, like, well, these video games are out here to test people, and they're like, they're like 3,700 people who are really good at this like they could get a lot of warriors out of yeah. today's well, crop of video game players crazy. like kids coming up now like have because they're in these things are introduced to them super early that they end up having these amazing understandings and like you know you, you see like really little kids fully operating video game systems and yeah. computers and stuff and like are way more advanced than some people of our age and stuff yeah. and it's amazing to think like what they'll be able to do with the technology in their hands, if they want to, yeah. as they get older. Like, that's going to be pretty amazing, I think. Yeah. My nephew I got started pretty young, and I, he bought me, I think, bought me, when he was like five or six, bought me Super Mario Sunshine, and it was like ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> and it was surprisingly difficult. I was like, okay, kid, all right, I'll play some Super Mario, but it took me a long time to get up to the levels that he had already defeated. <laughs> Yeah, because like early on, it's just the same thing as like if you take up an instrument or you learn a language and you're a kid, you just have a better, easier time of picking it up. I don't know why. There's like science to why that is. But, yeah. But so there's part of me that's like, damn it, why didn't I learn learn French? Why didn't I learn to play guitar or whatever? But I just didn't. Um, and it's infuriating hard when you're older. Yeah. So since you had the option of, with your free time, spending on video games or HBO, why did you choose HBO? Why is that more of an obsession than video games? I think when I was younger, I mean, the, the game systems were just like Nintendo and Atari or whatever, but 
there was something about like especially Atari that's like I could play Frogger for twenty minutes, but right. then I was like, all right, I'm done with Frogger. You right. know what I mean? Like there's they, those games like there wasn't that much you could go. There was no save function. Right. Uh, your progress was not, was not recorded. So, you know, you would just play it for a little bit till you got tired of picking up people on Defender, you know, <laughs> and then you're just like, all right. Whereas, like, you know, you'd dial into these movies and you'd watch for hours and stuff. So, and Nintendo started to get a little bit more obsessive, but then I was, like, in junior high or whatever, and I was still watching HBO, but not quite as much, okay. you know. So it started to kind of shift towards playing video games and stuff. But I still was obsessed with movies, so I would go to the theater and just see everything, you know. Cool. So if you could make a sequel to any of the movies that you watched a lot on HBO in the 80s, what sequel would you want to make? Ooh, goodness. Um, I'm kind of scared of them making that Goonies sequel, which is supposedly <laughs> happening. Oh, really? Yeah. Not a reboot, but a sequel? Like a sequel, they're saying. And I don't know if it'll be like the kids of the Goonies, which because they gotta have them involved. Oh yeah, I think in some way or form. But you don't want to see sad thirty something guys <laughs> like let's save the Goondocks. No, that doesn't work. Um, hmm, would lend itself well to a sequel. Because a lot of these things, there's like I don't think you could go back to the well. The second to last Starfighter. <laughs> um, the first unicorn. Right. <laughs> the unicorns begin. I could go for a sequel to Midnight Madness which is a movie no one saw, but I love it, which actually takes place in L.A., and once you've gotten acclimated, you should watch it to see how much stuff you recognize. Okay. But the idea was produced by Disney, though you wouldn't know it. It came out in the early 80s, and it's basically a big scavenger hunt movie. Okay. Um, like for college kids. So this guy, Leon, is the game master, and it's this great all-nighter, and there's teams of like five. They're all diff- they all wear different color sweatshirts. Okay. So it's like the blue team, the green team, the yellow team. The yellow team's like the hero team. That has David Naughton on it and uh, Michael J. Fox in his film debut. Um, they're the yellow team. Though he's like not because he's young. Like he's his, his kid brother always gets into trouble and yeah. sees him and ends up pounding around with him during the movie. The green team is the jocks. They're all like the football player stereotypes. It's got Dirk Blocker in it who is now in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's one of the older detectives in that. Dirk show. Blocker? Dirk Blocker. That's an he was also name. in Poltergeist. He's like one of the dudes that is like his football buddies. Okay. Other stuff too. But anyways, I always... Love him because I love Midnight Madness. So when I Brooklyn Nine Nine was, I was like, "Holy crap!" It's the new Midnight Madness. Um, the white team is the nerd team. Okay, and has Eddie Deason in it, who was the nerd and everything. He's Eugene <laughs> Grace. Yo, Jim. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Okay, the uh, nerd. The nerd. Um, the red team is kind of like the ladies team. There's these fat giggling twin girls in it. Um, <laughs> Who don't have much of a personality. Oh, yes. Uh, and then the blue team's the evil team. That's Stephen First is kind of like the main guy in that okay. and stuff. And so it's them going around trying to solve. It's not just like a scavenger hunt, which are lame, which are like, go circle, you know, go f- take photos of 13 landmarks or whatever. <laughs> it's like, here's a clue. Okay. Decipher the clue. It gives you, when you figure out the clue, you'll figure out where you're supposed to go next. You get there and you find your next clue and like that kind of thing. Right. And then the winning team will win like bragging rights or whatever at the okay. end of the night. Um so it's, you know, it's like, like you're trying to figure out these clues and stuff. And they end up going around to all these L.A. landmarks. Um, oh, awesome. The, the Griffith Observatory, like, uh, and things that aren't even really landmarks. But, like, they go to a mini golf place that they call something else. But it's, like, the Castle Park in Sherman Oaks. Okay. Um, that kind of stuff. But uh, I've always wanted to, like, do one myself. Like, but, like, you'd really have to, like, it would take a lot of work. Yeah. Because usually the things are literally, like, they go to a record store and find a vinyl copy of Bob Dylan, whatever, and take a photo. Like, okay. Like, I don't want to do that. I want it to be, like... Here's a clue. Decipher it, and then I thought it'd be fun to like orchestrate that, and then I literally have people put an entry fee in for their team, and then like the winner gets like 
Wow. The pool, the pool. So you'd like to actually make the contest happen. I would love to From do, the yeah. film. I think it'd be awesome. It. So what was the intent of Midnight Madness? Was it a comedy? Was it it's a, a comedy. rom-com? It's, was it... it's, it's just like kind of a goofy teen comedy in a sense. Um, Does it hold up or is it kind of batshit 80s crazy? Kind of both. Like, I think it holds up because I love it. But, yeah. like, it was never that good in the first place. <laughs> like, it wasn't that well-reviewed. But people who love it, like, love it. Yeah, I have a friend who's been getting me, been talking to me about it for years and almost always when we're drunk so i only have like half drunk memories of like what was midnight madness again did that have a werewolf no it's wait is that bill uh bill steitler yeah yeah we've we've (laughs) tweeted about it at each other yeah bill's a good friend yeah because he keeps talking about coming out here to like tour around and try to see all the locations from it yeah he's one of the people that i always talk about that movie with Cool. Because we both adore it. Awesome. Well, yeah, he's visiting soon, so uh, so we'll see. There we go. Get him on the tour. Yeah, so so you would like to actually make this happen and then film it. I'd like to do it as a real thing, but then also I think it'd just be fun to reboot it. You know, why yeah. not? There could be mileage in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so of all of these uh, characters in these films that you watch, you know the characters well. You're an improviser. Which characters do you think would actually be good at improvisation in these films? Ooh. Wow. Um, golly. Uh, huh. Who would be good at improvisation? Would it be the unicorn? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously Schmedrick the Magician, because yeah. he improvises by turning her into a woman. Not a good choice, <laughs> but he made the choice. Um, and she has it, right? Yeah, she did. She had no choice. It's magic. <laughs> um, hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people like... Like, Ducky from Pretty in Pink pops into my head. Okay. That's another one they ran a little bit on there, too. Yeah. Um, oh, also, Hiding Out was one of my favorite movies growing up, too, that he aired a lot, which is John, another John Cryer movie. Oh, cool. Where he goes, like, he's a stockbroker who's supposed to testify against the mob, and they're killing people that are doing that, so he goes back to high school and to hide out. Okay. Um, and that's John Cryer as well. John Cryer was, like, John Cryer and, like, Christian Slater are, like, my two heroes when I was a kid, like, because I thought they were both amazing. Awesome. So, Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about uh, old Christian Slater? Love old Christian Slater. He's got a lot of character. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been doing a Nicholson impression his entire career, but uh, like Heather's is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I think uh, he's great in Heather's. I mean, Pump Up the Volume is fantastic. I, Gleaming the Cube, that was another HBO movie <laughs> that you can't find now. Where he's a skateboarder oh, who's trying right. to solve his brother's murder or whatever. Like you do when you skateboard. Yeah, yeah. of course. Wow, I haven't even heard the words Gleam the Cube in years. And was Gleam the Cube a good movie? No, but <laughs> I loved it. Again, it was like, here's a cool skate punk kid who's on the run from people trying to get him. Like, that was a popular formula. And yeah. I just think for teens and adolescents watching these yeah. things, like, yeah, you know, I could do this too. It's right. Like, the I could do, I hadn't me. really thought about how much the I could do this too was a staple. I mean, I'm sure it still is, and I'm just not thinking about it that way from modern films yeah. but um so it sounds like you mostly watched like pg-13 stuff or did you watch rated r stuff there was some i mean i mostly watched during the day and they didn't they never aired it then now they okay. do but they didn't then it was like the r-rated stuff didn't come on until after eight. Oh, okay pretty much so not even porkies because i in my twisted memory like porkies was 24 7 on porkies HBO. was on but it was not on during the day okay. i think they would show edited versions on like usa and things like that okay but um but yeah, they were pretty strict about it back then. Um, now it's like there's like seven HBOs, seven Showtimes or whatever, and they're right. constantly airing whatever. And one just airs Porky's all the time. Yeah, still, all the time, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, HBO After Dark was a different thing too. I mean, it was like you 
you would have the the sh- movies that would have boobs in them. Um, and did you watch that ever with your parents or? Sometimes it depends on what it was. You know, my mom was pretty careful about making sure I didn't see R-rated stuff until they thought I was ready for it or whatever. But I remember being like obsessed with like there's certain movies I wanted to see that were rated R. I was like, guys, you gotta let me see this. I'm not gonna be like Fish Called Wanda was one. Okay. That I was just like, there's not gonna be anything in here that's gonna blow my mind. And I think I was like 12 or 13 or something. Yeah. And I think I actually ended up just renting it somewhere like a video store. I just went and did it. I was like, okay, fuck this. Watch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I can handle Fish Called Wanda, which I could. But yeah. that was the kind of the frustrating thing is that sometimes things would be rated R. And in fact, my mom's least favorite movie was my first R-rated movie in the theater, which was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is all like embarrassment humor, which none of us yeah. really like anyways. Like I've always get kind of uncomfortable with that. I'm always like, just leave the guy alone, whatever it is. <laughs> but, um, but that was pretty funny. And I remember we, went to, we were trying to see a, a sneak preview of Good Morning Vietnam because they deemed it as like a worthy endeavor in a sense but okay. it was sold out and so we were looking around at the theater what else was there well fatal attraction they're not going to take me to see that but plane trains and automobiles just open they're like oh it's steve martin we love him or whatever we'll go and my mom was just like so embarrassed i think because it was so crass and so like yeah. embarrassing humor based i think she would like was upset that she took me to see it okay and she just didn't like it either so it was just like the combination thereof so they'd be pretty careful about that okay. stuff. But even okay. some PG-13 stuff. I remember my mom, like, made us turn off Ferris Bueller because... Really? Yeah, well, there's that scene where, like, Charlie Sheen is in the um, police station with Jennifer Grey. Right. And right. below me, like, that thing happens or whatever. And yeah. And my mom's like, okay, that's good. We're done here. <laughs> so did you have, like, a time in your life where you had, were sort of blue-balled on Ferris Bueller and you didn't really know how it ended? <laughs> well, eventually those things, I would just end up seeing it somehow. Okay, but, you just find um, a way. Yeah. You know, just find a way around it. But, yeah. Was Zapped on HBO? Zapped was, yeah, for sure. Okay. Willie Ames and Scott Baio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I only... We didn't have HBO, so it was this... It, to me, HBO was like a unicorn. Like, other kids at school would tell me about it, and I would be sort of fascinated and have right. imagine what some of these films were. But I think we were, uh, like, at a friend's house or whatever, and my mom suggested that my brother and I watch Zapped because she read the description and thought it was, like, superheroes. Because she knew that we like superheroes. Right. <laughs> it's the power used only for removing bras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, yeah, she had a yeah, surprise. Yeah, another, like, after 8 o'clock. There's one they aired a lot late night called Hamburger, the motion picture. <laughs> which was, like, this guy goes to work, like, goes to, like, the like basically a fast food academy to, learn okay. to like, work there or whatever. I think Dick Buckus is in it, too. And there's just <laughs> a lot of boobs in it. It's just, like, a hardcore boob movie. It's another one of those things that's, like, if you look it up, it's, like, was on VHS at one point. You can buy, like, a bootleg DVD for lots of money. Okay. Which is weird. Rad's another one, too. They used to air Rad all the time, which is a... Uh, it's a dirt bike movie, basically. Okay. And that's another one you have to buy a boot of. But people do, because if you want it, that's the only way to get it. And what's the story about somebody who is so good at dirt biking, they needed to save the world or solve a crime? Not quite, but it was like, there's like a dirt bike competition okay. and like at the end or whatever. And it's, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I don't remember. It also, it's big claim to fame is it had the song Send Me an Angel in it. Okay. So like, that's kind of where that song came from. <laughs> from, from a dirt bike movie. Yeah, from a dirt bike awesome. movie. Awesome. Uh, so... If you had your own network like HBO, what kind of programming would you want to put on it? I mean, you're a curator. You curate the Sketchfest, and obviously the, you you think of things that way. Of like, right. I want to pick out what is right and how it goes together. And what what kind of channel would you want to make if you could just make a cable channel? I mean, I might call it like you know the throwback or something, and literally just do like the kind of the off the beaten path movies that like 
you don't see that much. Like right. some of the ones I've described, but like not like Goonies or whatever. Even I love those movies, but like ones that like like a Kid Co will pop up and like, oh my god, I've forgotten Kid Co existed. Okay. Like I love movies like that. Like I'm in my improv, I'm a deep referencer a lot. Okay. <laughs> so I'll throw things out that I'm like, two people are gonna know what I'm talking about, but I don't care. It's for me. Yeah. You know? So if if I make a joke about, I don't know, the gun and Betty Lou's handbag. Or the air up there, or like these yeah. movies that were kind of like <laughs> open for two seconds in the theater. My boyfriend's back, or whatever, and then became a you know a home video thing. Yeah, that you may have seen Operation Dumbo Drop, whatever. <laughs> Those are the things that like when I am like just going around through cable, and all of a sudden it's literally like Operation Dumbo Drop was on like two months ago. I was like, hell yes, I'm watching this. <laughs> Because you like, I have a vague recollection of it. I saw it once in the theater and maybe once when it came out on video, but I haven't seen it in twenty years. And right. I put it on and I'm like, wow, this does not hold up, or this does, or oh my god, that's so and so. I didn't realize it at the time. Like, there's that kind of fun. In watching yeah. Those movies. Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated by the sort of. It seems like you were raised well. You were analytical and intelligent, so you could discern this isn't good, but I'm going to keep watching it again and again. So. Is there, are there movies that you see in the theater now that you know, like, this is bad, I don't like it, but if back <laughs> in the day it was on HBO, I might every like day I would have watched it and it would have imprinted on me because it's there. Yeah, possibly. There's certain things you look at and you go, like, I could see what the appeal of this would be to that certain, like, you know, area of people, of you know, 8 to 10 year old boys. Like, I yeah. could see, like, why, if I was 8 to 12, I would think this is the best thing in the world, but now I look at it and I go, like, this is not for me. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, there definitely are circumstances where that definitely happens. But I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, if it's a comedy, if it's if I laugh at it, I think it's funny. I don't care if the story's not great. Yeah. Like, did I laugh a lot? Yeah, and it works for me. Then I didn't need an amazing thing to happen. I didn't need to pull an M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end. <laughs> it just needed to be funny. And it was. Hooray. So, yeah. Would you watch M. Night Shyamalan movies again and again if they were on cable back in the day? Would you have... Turned against some of the later M Night stuff. Um, I've always found his stuff watchable. Like I don't, I think it's un, I think people have given him a bum rap because okay. he's he he never meant to be the guy that has twists. That was forced upon him. Because oh really? The Sixth Sense was like such a huge hit that the studios were like, do it again, do it again, <laughs> just do it again. So everything he put out after that would always have to have a big reveal. And when people started not liking the reveals, they started hating him. Yeah. And I just thought that to be unfair. Like, I didn't hate the village like everybody else did. I thought the reveal was pretty okay. Like, okay. I was all right with that. Like, I didn't need them to be monsters. Like, the fact that they weren't was like, yeah. cool. And I understood, like, why they did it. And, like, the, it made sense to me. Yeah. Um, Signs was great, too. Like, it was creepy. You know, I was fine with that. Like, I, I find that if you can make a certain mood and sustain it, like, that's great, you know? If I like that mood, I'll live in it for a while. Awesome. It doesn't have to be, like, there's certain things that, like, Lost was all about mood. It couldn't be, like, explained from a scientific level without making you crazy. Right. So, like, if you just accepted the fact that there was polar bears in a hatch and weird things and just bought into that, you're fine with it. If you tried to, like, be like, but why? You'd, like, <laughs> you'd, go, you'd go nuts. Sometimes you'd just have to accept the fact that, like, they're never going to be able to explain this satisfactorily. Yeah, I liked how Pulpy Lost was. It was just like a weird pulp show. Yeah. It's like if you ever found out what was inside the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, you wouldn't care. Like, there's there's nothing. That's why it's a great MacGuffin. Yeah. It doesn't matter what's inside there. It's not about what's in there. Because whatever is in there is not going to be satisfying to you. Right. So just enjoy the fact that these people want this thing and don't care what that thing is. 
Cool. Because you're not going to be happy when you find out what it is, if you ever find out. Well, it's awesome to talk to someone who is very analytical, but not angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people I talk to who are, like, pretty analytical about films are usually enraged. Oh, I mean, like, if, like, Prometheus, I, I'm assuming you saw that. Uh, no. If you go down the rabbit hole of that movie, you'll hate the shit out of it. Yeah. Because there's so many problems with it. But if you just take it as a surface of, like, well, there were some great effects, there are some interesting, like, jump moments, there's yeah. some cool concepts in it. You'll be okay with it. But there's so many problems with the science of it and things yeah. that people wouldn't do that, mm. like... Sort of breaking the rules that it self-sets. Yeah. There's just things of, like, okay, so these scientists go down inside this, like, area to try to investigate it. And one of them takes, does this dumb thing of taking off the helmet and going, like, it's breathable. <laughs> Which, like, even if the, in, like, the air on a planet was breathable, you don't know what other bacteria and microbes and things are there that would kill you. Right. Like, yeah, maybe the oxygen level is fine, but now you've taken in this parasite that you can't see this microscopic that's going into your system and you're going to die tomorrow. Yeah. Like, you would... You would never do it. You would leave it. But they take the helmets off so that way you could tell who's who and bad shit's happening to people or whatever. Yeah. Or so things can get inside their helmets or whatever. But, like, no scientist would ever do that. Ever. <laughs> but if you start to, like, poke holes in it, because there's lots of things like that, you'll, yeah. you'll go crazy and you'll hate the shit out of it. So, like, you got to decide, do I want to hate this movie? Because, oh, I can go down that road and I can hate the shit out of this. Or... I can just sit back and enjoy it on a surface level. Wash over you. Yeah, for certain things. Nice, nice. So if HBO in the eighties, when you were watching it obsessively, if you discovered that it was actually programmed by aliens or some other sentient force, what would the message of the programming all put together be? Like if it was trying to say something to young Cole Stratton, it would probably be trying to tell me Rise up, do something. Like, you, you're, you're meant for more extraordinary things. Find more extraordinary things. Oh, that's awesome. It's kind of the message of a lot of those movies, I think. So That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I have my questions about how obsessed you are. All right. So do you think about uh, H, uh, movies on HBO in the 80s every day? Probably. I mean, my life is so pop culture and so referential in a lot of ways, too, that yeah. I, odds are, yeah. Cool. Uh, would you watch a documentary about the life of an HBO programming executive in the 1980s? Sure. It'd be interesting <laughs> to see what thought process went, if any, if it was just like, oh, we put that on because we got it for, you know, $10,000 yeah. and we were able to air it a million times or whatever. Yeah. Or if it was literally like, this is focus grouped out because we knew it would play well with whatever. Like, I don't, I can't understand what the rhyme or reason is for half of that stuff. Yeah. If it has the word last in the title, clearly they're going to grab it. Right. But besides that, we really don't know. Right. Uh, would you get a tattoo of the HBO logo? No. <laughs> I, I don't have any tattoos. There's nothing I can think about having in my body permanently that I would be okay with. I had a friend in college who had a Wacko Warner tattoo on his okay. shoulder, and I was like, you like Animaniacs now. A lot. <laughs> Are you going to enjoy describing what it is to your grandkids? Or, like, I just can't, I don't know. Yeah. There's nothing I can think about having permanently in my body. It's like, look... I own lots of pop culture art prints of things that yeah. I like, you know, because I can take that down whenever I want. <laughs> but it's up there to show my love for, oh, here's a travel poster for Wally World. Here's a travel poster for the Airplane yeah. Airlines. Like, that kind of stuff lives in my house. Sure. Yeah. But I'm not putting them on my body. The uh, radio station in the Twin Cities uh, that has, like, all of the normal pop hits of the day, 
with the big, loud, wacky DJs. They have this great commercial for tattoo removal where they're trying to make it sound really cool and hip in the big, loud DJ ways. Of like, oh, yeah, is it time for you to get that tat removed? Oh, yeah, come on. <laughs> to me, it's sort of like, oh, well, this is kind of our culture coming to a head where it's really exciting to correct your <laughs> mistakes that you make to your body. Totally. Plus, <laughs> you see so many horror stories of tattoos, too, where they spell words wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the artwork just does not translate very well. I'm like, well, that fuck-up is on your body forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's a, that's a solid no to that one. Yeah. Uh, would you write or read slash fiction about your favorite characters from 80s HBO films? Sure. I mean, I've written... I did an episode of competitive erotic fan fiction. Cool. Uh, a couple months back, where I did it on Police Academy, because I definitely watched all those movies. Were there a lot of sound effects in your? There was. <laughs> uh, it ended with this massive Police Academy orgy in it, so it was pretty. Because uh, the whole idea of that thing is to just write the dirtiest, filthiest thing about some pop culture nice. thing, and so yeah. Nice. Uh, would you watch the movie Zapped with a nun? <laughs> uh, I don't know that many nuns. Um, I, I guess so. I think I'd be like, hey, check this out. <laughs> Look at the higher power at work here. <laughs> awesome. Uh, would you uh, try to like go out to the woods and like a Civil War reenactor, reenact the last unicorn with some friends? Sure. <laughs> That'd be goofy. It'd be fun to do like 80s movies reenactments. Yeah. It, what, would be, what would be the best movie to reenact? Oh, God. Um, well, I mean, Goonies would lend itself hardcore to that. Yeah. Um, anything with some sort of pirate theme. <laughs> pirate movie, which is basically just a... Uh, it was actually called Pirate Movie? There's a thing called The Pirate Movie with uh, Christy McNichol and Christopher Atkins. Okay. Where it's basically a semi-modern, because this is 83, update of the Pirates of Penzance, but not done with the Gilbert and Sullivan uh operetta but like it's done like with like pop songs okay of the day well no like they wrote songs for the movie so i love that movie like it's terrible but i love it okay and uh i love the soundtrack which i found and stuff and there's a little bit of elements of pirates of penzance in it because they do like modern major general in a way okay um (laughs) the sister song or whatever but the rest is like you know she sings he sings a song called How Can I Live Without Her. It's like the best like cheesy pop ballads of the time or whatever. It's a song called Keep Pumping Blowing where they're... Um, <laughs> it, it, the and videos, it wasn't on After Dark. No. Keep pumping. Blowing. There's a video of it. Uh, they, they segmented it out. You can watch it on YouTube. Just type in pirate movie Pumping Blowing. There's animation in it where like he's underwater like in an old scuba suit and then there's cartoon fish around him and okay. stuff. And... Uh, there's like references to Star Wars and lightsabers and stuff too. Like, so it's very dated wow. in a way, but um, I love it. And the whole thing's like a fantasy inside one of their heads because they get knocked on the head or whatever and then they get revived so that, you know, whatever. But um, I recommend it wholeheartedly if you can find it because awesome. you won't be able to take your eyes off of the horror that is the pirate <laughs> movie. Cool. I will definitely look that one up. Yep. Um, if the only way you could watch The Last Starfighter again is if you first had to be struck in the groin would you still watch The Last Starfighter? Nope. <laughs> I've seen it enough. I can uh, rely it in my eyeballs. I can see it still. And I want to be seeing stars from a groin kick. <laughs> this is great. I've just started asking this question, and it came up because uh, I was talking to Hal Lublin about um, pro wrestling. Right. So it was kind of a natural question in the context of pro wrestling. Uh, so I've only been asking it a little bit. And mostly people are interested in the metaphysics of 
how, when, who is plunging. <laughs> You're just like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not interested in having my jewels knocked around. <laughs> not even for the last Starfighter. No, can't uh, believe it. Have you ever thought that you are too focused on the movies of that era or the experience of watching them? Yeah, I mean, I've done some things that are like obsessive and weird. Like I've done all vocal, like all vocal covers of theme songs for some of these things. Done them like is a live performance? No, I just recorded them like multi-tracked them like oh, wow. on my laptop. So like on my website, coldstratton.com, there's a <laughs> there's a section called songs in the key of Stratton, and so there's a handful of things that I've done, literally like all vocal covers, like me doing the vocal instrumental parts along with the lyrics and stuff okay. too. So there's. The, the, the theme song for Midnight Madness, I did that. I did Dancing in Heaven or Buttle Bebop by Q Feel from uh, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. <laughs> I did Cry Little Sister, the theme from Lost Boys. Okay. Um, I did the River Bottom Nightmare Band song from Evan Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which wow. is a thing they played all the time. So you've done a lot of this. In the, are you, Were you... These were just passion projects, right? Like yeah, just a fun thing to just create. Just something fun. I was like learning to use GarageBand. And, and, okay. You know, and then I was just like, why don't I just try these? I like to sing and like... I love these movies and these things, so I just did them and put them out there, and they're, you know, whatever. You can stream them on my website for free or whatever. They're just yeah. stupid. And the sound quality's not amazing because it's just done with, like, a, you know, a little microphone on my laptop. Yeah. But, um, but they're interesting. And the people that remember those things, I've gotten emails from them, like, oh, my God, like, that just took me back or whatever. It's just kind of fun. But, yeah. like, yeah, there's no reason for me to spend four <laughs> hours recording the theme song from Midnight Madness. And Bill might argue otherwise. Yeah, but, I'm uh, sure he will. Right, he may already be aware of it. I'm sure he's just sensing this conversation now and probably <laughs> concerned. Um, well, this is great. I've, I've been asking people to make a noise to sum up their obsession, and I was like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to ask Cole about HBO '80s movies. But uh, is there is there a little bit of song that you can sing to sum up your obsession? Ooh. Okay. Um, well, I could do the HBO theme song. Oh, that'd be There's awesome. No lyrics, but. Uh, it basically goes, and I was actually going to record this and multi-track it because <laughs> I was going to do a, like a little offshoot podcast. It was just going to be a bunch of sketches and whatever cool. thing just for fun. And the theme, the theme for the thing was going to be me doing the HBO theme. Oh, nice. Um, which is basically, and people remember this because the logo would fly through downtown like a city, like a model. Okay. Um, there's actually like a seven minute thing online showing how they created this title sequence for HBO. Oh, wow. Pretty hilarious. But it basically goes, that's basically it. There's like a there's like a two minute version as a bunch of lead up. But okay. They started shortening it. And they used to use that on HBO before all the movies, and then the thing would you go inside the logo and it would come up and be like the following feature is rated PG thirteen, and we'd be like language okay. whatever and show you what was wrong with it. Now they just do the little like. Uh, little TV. Oh right, the little thing. TV turn. That's kind of all they do now. But yeah, this thing used to be badass. He's having it on all the time. Yeah. What is the what was the whoosh at the end? It was you went inside the logo and then okay. all these like little light lasers would come through. <laughs> so I guess it was supposed to be the sound of the lasers, which wouldn't have noise. But um, but like, again, if you start questioning the logic of the HBO logo, yeah. you get on that. Like hole. that to me, that's that's the eighties right there. Whoosh, and yep. then there are maybe lasers. Yep. Cool. So here, here are the final questions we ask everybody on the podcast. Uh, if you had the power to set one specific kind of thing on fire, what would you want to be able to set on fire? Ooh, Crocs. 
<laughs> That's a good one. Those things are terrible. <laughs> They're really horrible. Burn Crocs, burn. Uh, no, you, can, you shouldn't be able to wear Crocs unless you're on a river rafting expedition <laughs> or you're a gardener. Otherwise, I don't understand. I guess little kids, they it's easy to get them on and off or yeah. whatever. So, okay, I get that. But at a certain point, like, you've made a pact with society. Put shoes on. That's the way I feel. But they, are, they are hideously ugly, They're too. so, so bad. Uh, cool. So if you could travel back in time and tell your childhood self one word only... What word would you say to yourself? Plastics? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What would I tell myself? Attaboy. (laughs) (laughs) And you you get it all together so it's one word. Real quick. Attaboy. Attaboy. (laughs) That that would be terrifying (laughs) to have some old guy that looks kind of like you come back and say, attaboy. But it goes very well with what you're saying about what the message of the HBO films were. There you go. Awesome. Uh, and the final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? What is happiness? I know. Happiness is sour cream money. <laughs> and I'll explain that as a concept that I very much subscribe to in life. Okay. Which is, when you're poor, when you don't have a lot of money, and you go to order a burrito, and you want to put sour cream on it, and they're like, it's 75 cents extra. When you have the thing I'm like, ah, can I afford to put sour cream on <laughs> I don't know, I really want sour cream, but I really need to keep this, like, I got rent or whatever. When you have to think about that kind of stuff, it sucks. Yeah. But when you have enough money to basically, like, yeah, I can put sour cream in that, I can put egg guac, I can get chips if I want, and, like, not worry about it. Like, I, I, not gold-plated bathroom fixtures like your MC Hammer. Right. But just, just sour cream money, like, to me, that's happiness, just being able to be, like, to, and that doesn't necessarily mean money, it doesn't mean anything, just being able right. to do the things that you want to do right. without being, like, gosh, should I do that? Can I do that? Can, yeah. I, can I afford to do that from a career standpoint, from a money standpoint, from a, I don't know, whatever standpoint, yeah. to just not be afraid to do the things you want to do to experience, like, yeah. that, to me, is happiness. That is awesome, and I hope you have lots of sour cream <laughs> in your Thank adventures you. very Thank soon. You. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. Thanks. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Here we are at the end of the podcast, and I want to tell you about my upcoming shows, but I want it to be nice and exciting. I want you to feel like you are about to experience a feature presentation of commercials. So Cole has kindly agreed to give me a little lead-in to these exciting announcements. Lasers. Uh, I will be at uh, Nerd Night Out. It's the show we're doing at the M Bar with the Double Clicks and J. Elvis Weinstein and Louis uh, Peitzman on May 30th. That's right here in Los Angeles. If you are in Minneapolis, I will be back to my hometown on June 7th to do a show at the Comedy Corner Underground. And if you are in San Francisco, I will be there on July 12th to do a show again with the Double Clicks and with Josh A. Kagan at The Dark Room. So please come see all those things. Move around, follow me, stalk me. And you can find out more at josephscrimshaw.com slash live shows. Thanks, Cole. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>